I must admit, there is so much to like about doing church services in our houses. <laughs> I do love it. I love the stories and the reports I'm hearing back from you. Um, and I pray you enjoyed that time of worship as well. Um, you know, I just want to remind you that next weekend is Easter and we have something very special coming up. Um, on Good Friday, we want to encourage everyone, hey, why don't you uh, consider having a Passover meal with your family? And it's more than just having roast lamb, which is not bad, <laughs> but uh, it's more about just focusing on exactly what uh, God did back in the days of Egypt and when the Israelites were caught in Egypt and how he set them free and and how that really was just a a forecast of what Jesus was going to do um, for us at the cross. And um, it's a great way to just, especially if you've got young kids, just to show them. And throughout the week, we're going to be giving you little tips about what we do as a family and our Easter tradition for Good Friday. But on Sunday morning as well, Resurrection Sunday, there's no better Sunday. Hey, we've got something very special for you in our 10 a.m. service. Uh, it's going to be incredible. But now we've got something special for you as well. And our church is blessed with so many great preachers. And um, I'm just excited to be able to uh, let you know that we actually recorded a few messages beforehand. And uh, and one of them was Dr. Daniel Thornton, the Reverend Dr. Daniel Thornton. And uh, he's a great preacher and uh, a great communicator with his emotions and with the Word of God and his knowledge. It's just brilliant. So why don't you sit back and enjoy the Word and receive from him now. Well, hi there. It's really wonderful to be with you wherever you are. I'm here and uh, we're going to open up the Word in a second. But before we do that, I just wanted to uh, paint a bit of a picture uh, for our church. We've had a, a theme over the last little while, certainly before all of the drama that we've encountered recently. And the theme was is still is, lift up your eyes. And I was reflecting on that. And even though this, uh, you may or may not be a, from our church, but I, this is a, a truth, uh, whether it's our theme or not. You know, uh, Psalm 3 tells us that God is the lifter of our heads. Uh, Hebrews 12 talks about the fact that we should look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So lift up your eyes is just a, a, a great revelation, uh, no matter where you're up to. And, and I actually feel like it was a prophetic theme uh, because it was put in place even before uh, everything that was happening in this world around COVID-19. And, and I just think it, at, at any time in history, now's the time to lift up our eyes. And as I was reflecting on that, I, I believe that God just drew me back to this Fabulous story, amazing account in 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, uh, I'm, the, the whole story uh, goes from verse 8 all the way through to uh, verse 23. And I'm not going to read that. I'll just paraphrase that for you. I'll just tell you the story. Uh, but certainly if you want to follow along, you can uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 
bit of backstory. This is the time when the, the kingdom of Israel has split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So uh, after Solomon, of course, Rehoboam, and, and, and now uh, this particular story is about the northern kingdom, uh, the 10 tribes, and uh, they've had some pretty bad kings along the way. Uh, this story comes now at the time uh, of the, uh, the son of Ahab, and Jezebel, I mean, just uh, there's a lot happening. Uh, a pretty messy, messed up kingdom is at place, and they've got uh, uh, they've got other nations who are fighting them on on all sides. And and at this time, even though the nation is messed up and Israel is really not doing that great, and the king's not following after God, God still has His prophet in the midst of all of this because he still cares about his people. And so his voice is still active in the midst of this mess. And at this point, it's through the prophet Elisha. So Elisha has followed on from Elijah who was taken up in the chariot into heaven. And uh, now Elisha is, is the voice of God in the midst of the Northern Kingdom of Israel. So there is, to the north of them, there is a group, the Arameans or Syrians, uh, depending on which version you're reading. And uh, the king of Aram was wanting to wipe out Israelites, typical of of pretty much most of the nations that they drove out of the promised land. Uh, They didn't really drive them out completely and therefore the remnants, you know, gathered together and the surrounding nations often wanted uh, Israel wiped out. And so the Israelites are fighting the Arameans and and the Arameans, the Israelites. And and so this story uh, comes to pass that the king of Aram is trying to do these sneaky moves. He's trying to do these ambushes. He's trying to to kind of get down into the territory and raid certain villages and stuff. And and so he's having these private meetings with his generals and he's saying, I'm going to be here and we're going to be over here. And every time he does one of these moves, the Israelites seem to already know about it. They're already countering the move. They're already doing something to, to double ambush them. And, and the king of Aram is going, what the heck? There's only one conclusion that you can possibly reach. We have a snitch. There is a double agent. Someone is playing both sides and they're going down. And so he calls his officers all in and he says, you know, what's happening here? And they say, no, 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 we're, we're, we're loyal. <laughs> we're all loyal. The issue is that the Israelites have Elisha and Elisha is telling the king of Israel what you're saying in your bedroom. So instead of the king of Aram realising that he was outgunned, <laughs> outplayed, outmatched, because he was not just against the people of Israel, he was against God. Instead of having that much intelligence, he said, no, no, I've got a better idea. We'll just kill Elisha. Then he can't tell the king all all that I'm doing. (laughs) So he finds out where uh, Elisha is. He's in Dotham and sends horses, chariots. It says a great army. So he basically sends all of his forces to surround Dotham and they are going to take out Elisha and all of his problems will be solved. So he thinks. 
Now, Elisha has a servant and his servant gets up uh, that morning. They snuck in, the, the Aramean snuck in at night, you know, covert. We're going we're gonna to make sure we take this guy out. The servant wakes up in the morning, comes out of the tent to get the water or, you know, do whatever his morning duties were. And you can just imagine it. He opens the tent and his jaw drops because as far as he can see in every direction, there are chariots and horses and infantry and he freaks out. He absolutely freaks out. He, he runs back into the tent and says, Elisha, Elisha, my master, what are we going to do? We're going to die. We're going to be going to do horrible things to us. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are for us are far more than those who are for them. Those who are with us on our side are far more than those who are with them. And then he says, then he prays, Lord, would you open up my servant's eyes? And God opens the servant's eyes and suddenly what he thought was a pretty amazing army is now surrounded by a greater army of chariots and horses, uh, but they are made of fire. No competition. He's really excited now because suddenly he's seen what Elisha's able to see. He's seen that God's, God's got this. And, and now I reckon that he's probably thinking, awesome, it's about time these Arameans were wiped off the planet. It's about time that, you know, Justice was served upon these people who've been harassing the Israelites. So the Arameans begin to come down towards Elisha, but Elisha doesn't say, all right, God, wipe them out. He says, uh, Lord, blind them. Okay, blind them, then wipe them out, what, whatever. Uh, so, God blinds the entire army of the Arameans and Elisha walks up to them and says, uh, hey guys, uh, who are you looking for? We're, we're here to kill Elisha. Oh, oh yeah, no, he's not here. No, uh, no, not this city. I can take you to him. So Elisha leads this blind army. I don't know how many, it must have been pretty big. He leads them all the way to Samaria, which is where the king uh, of Israel, of the Northern Kingdom is. He brings them right into the city. And then uh, he asks God to open their eyes. God opens their eyes and they suddenly realise they are in the middle of the enemy's key city, in the middle of the capital. So all the, the king, all the king's army, it's all there. Now the king's getting, getting excited. Maybe the servant's going, okay, okay, okay. So you didn't want to kill them there because you wanted the king to be able to kill them. Awesome. And the king says, can I kill them? Can I kill them? He asked twice. It's, it's right in there. <laughs> and Elijah says, no, you can give them dinner, a bit of water. Actually, just give them a feast and send them back to their master. Uh, 
what the heck is happening here? So the king, of course, does, does what the prophet tells him to do and he, he feeds his enemies and then sends them on their way. And I want you to note here in verse 23, it says, uh, he prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. I, I love this story and there's just three little thoughts that I'll bring out of it for us uh, that I think particularly relate to us at this time. The first is simply this, that crises happen. And I think a few other people have mentioned that uh, from this platform and no doubt elsewhere. I mean, we do have an enemy who wants to steal, kill and destroy. And there's no doubt that, that he is at work you know, throughout history. Whether, that's, whether, this, we, whether we want to uh, attribute any of this to the enemy, uh, uh, I'm not sure that I necessarily want to do that. But the reality is we live also in a broken world. We live in a world where the earth itself and all of creation is groaning, is, is awaiting redemption. And therefore it's deteriorating, it's running down. Uh, and of course, we, we look forward to Jesus returning when he will make a new heaven and a new earth and uh, exactly the way that he wanted it to, one that will last. But I think the point is crises happen. And, and uh, on the one hand, we can be really morbid about it. You know, we can just be the doomsayers, the, the, the prophets of doom. It's all, you know, the economy is going to collapse and the, the uh, you know, the world's going to overheat. And uh, we can be doomsayers, but I don't think that's the position that God has uh, prepared for us to be. Um, nor do I think that he has prepared us to be sort of super hyper faith fairies <laughs> where we just kind of go, oh, it's all wonderful. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens. God's in control. And we're just, you know, we'll just go about our business. I think those two extremes, certainly Christians at various times have, have moved between those. But actually... Uh, I think where, where I, I believe God wants us to sit is in a place of peace, in a place of confidence, in a place of expectation of crises without, without losing our sense of hope because we have this eternal hope. We have this hope that can't be, distinct, can't be extinguished by whatever's happening in the world around us. Crises were, were happening for the Israelites and they, if you just keep reading, you know, through all of those, through the first Kings, second Kings, they, they just keep happening. They just keep happening. And we're in a world where crises will happen. But what I love is that when they happen, they never take God by surprise. And I, I don't know if you've heard that, that the expression, don't just stand there, do something. Have you heard that expression? Maybe you've said it. Don't just stand there, do something. And I think in crises, often that's the orientation. We want to, well, what should we do? We should go and buy toilet paper. 
<laughs> what should we do? We should uh, get masks. Uh, all those might be important things. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I, I wonder if God's first decree to us in that moment is actually don't just do something, stand there. When Elisha's servant said, he says, Master, what shall we do? Elisha doesn't say, all right, well, we'll uh, collect our stuff. We'll gather our uh, weapons. Uh, He doesn't actually talk about what they're going to do. He says, Lord, open my servant's eyes. Open my servant's eyes. And I can't help but think that that often we go into that do mode. You know, what, what are we going to do? But actually before God wants us to do, He wants us to see. There's something He wants us to see in these moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The thing is, it doesn't stop there. The very next verse, verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God's not trying to keep the blinkers on your eyes. He's not trying to keep you in confusion in the midst of crisis. He's actually saying, hold on a second. Stop doing something and stand there and allow me to show you what I can see in this situation. Because no matter how drastic a crisis it looks like, surrounded by horses and chariots and infantry, there's actually a bigger picture. There's something else that God is at work doing and that He wants us to be a part of if we'll just stop and we'll just wait on Him. We'll wait on the Spirit of God to show us the things that he wants to show us. Perhaps that's the, the essence of this message. What's God trying to show you right now? When he opens your spiritual eyes, what's he showing you? It might be he's showing you the person next door. It might be that he's putting on your heart the a local business or maybe some relatives who've perhaps been a little out of touch and it just seems like now's the moment where God's going to do something to, to bring those relationships back together. It might be He's showing you opportunities, business opportunities. Uh, who knows? I don't know what God's showing you, but this much I know. He's showing you something. He wants you to see something because even though eye has not seen nor ear has heard nor all of that, God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. We just need to be willing. We just need to invite God to show us the things that He's at work in in these moments. When God, here's my last thought, when God shows uh, the servant the the armies of fire. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) The armies of fire. I'm sure that the servant's thinking, aha, I know what God's plan is. He's going to wipe them out with burning ash and sulfur and it's going to be like an epic thrilling apocalypse movie. But God doesn't do that. 
No, no, God has another plan. And, and I think in these moments, whatever God's showing us, the thing that goes alongside that is God's plan is better than my plan. God's plan is better than your plan. My plan would have been just wipe them out with the fire. Awesome, done, finished. Instead, God's plan was a redemptive plan for not even His people. It was for the Arameans. God's plan was a redemptive plan for the Arameans that He would actually bring them into a place to show His goodness and kindness to them and that that would actually turn into them no longer attacking Israel. I love it that God's plans are far better than my plans because I think I got it worked out. And, and I'm sure that the servant was kind of going, great, I got it worked out. No, I don't have it worked out. Oh, we're taking them to Samaria. Great, the king will kill them. Awesome, that's a good plan. Oh, that's, that's not the plan. I think even in this moment, in this moment in history, we might want to preempt God. Like, hey, God, you've shown me this, you've, you've shown me that. All right, I'll go and make something happen. I've got a plan. But could we just take that moment to step back and go, thank you, God, for showing me whatever it is, showing me that person, showing me that situation, showing me my own heart. And then ask the question, okay, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in this situation? Because your plan is going to be better than my plan. Let me pray for you today and As you close your eyes in prayer, I want you to open your spiritual eyes or at least be willing for them to be opened because I really believe that God wants to show you something in this moment that is gonna make a difference when you combine it with His plan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person who is watching this right now. I love the way that you are able to open our spiritual eyes and give us insight and give us vision into things that we, we would have otherwise no ability to comprehend. You reveal yourself and you reveal what you're doing through your spirit. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that right now you are opening eyes. You are bringing things to people's attention. You are reframing their, their gaze on the world. And in the midst of that, I pray that you would articulate for every single individual your plan for that vision because your plan's always better than our plan. And I thank you that there's gonna be a great testimony. There's gonna be a great testimony for the church and for individuals who allow you to open their eyes and who walk with you in the plans that you have prepared for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.